All right, so um, we're going to be making up what we missed last week, which at the time we were studying the book of Hafla in the Rambam, which is to do with vows. So I wanted to do something about vows, and it also tied into some ideas shared by Reb Ruva Margolius, whose yard site it was, and um, unfortunately I wasn't able to give the class last week, so we're going to be doing it now. Um, disclaimer is that we've actually done a class on this topic before, a few years ago, and I think it was in 2017, so maybe some people might not rem- remember exactly everything we discussed, um, And um, but it's not going to be a repeat, uh, you know, so a little bit different. Okay, so I uh, imagine that people are familiar with the prohibition in the Torah against a false oath. A, so, uh, an, uh, a false oath is a prohibition. So another in the Torah, and the Rambam in his introduction in the in the in the not introduction sort of in the little preface to the laws of Shuas, to the laws of oath, says that there are actually four prohibitions in different types of oaths: Shuas Bitu, Shuas Shav, Shuas Apikodin, Shuas Aedos. Different types of false oaths. We're not going to get into all the different details today. And then there's also Snodarim, which are, I translate them as oaths and vows. Exactly the difference is also a little bit beyond the scope. But the point is that keeping one's word and keeping, staying true to, to one's oath is a very, very um, severe mitzvah, if you will. And in fact, in Hilchus Teshuva, where the Rambam gives examples, where he explains how when a person does tshuva like this, the, the, the some averis which are heavier, so to speak, than others. So one of the examples he gives is that a shvua, a false oath, is considered one of the chamurais. It's considered one of the um, very severe prohibitions, right? So, for example, there's different categories of mitzvahs. There's categories of mitzvahs which are chamurais, which are severe, and categories which are less. So, for example, when a potential convert comes to the Bezdin, the Rambam says in Nilchus Surebiya, um, I think it's in Parakudalad, that, um, that, in fact, I might even have it on the table, let me to check. Yeah. That y- you tell, the, you tell the, w- the potential convert some of the chamurais and some of the different types of mitzvahs. So, chamurais. Severe mitzvahs includes the mitzvah of the, 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 the mitzvahs related to oaths, to false oaths. Now, why, why, uh, why, why is it so terrible? Why is it oath? Why is the false oath so terrible? So, yeah, the the Rambam says when a potential convert comes, you tell him some of the mitzvahs kalas and some of the mitzvahs kamuris. It's in the Suri Bia Perikidal Talacha Beis, and um, they bring here on the side the quote from Hilchus Shuvah Perikalaf Talacha Beis, where the Rambam says what are considered the averus kamuris. What are the severe averus? So he says all the averus for which there is capital punishment and false oaths. Right? So false oath is the Rambam puts that on par with capital offenses and false oaths. So why is it so why is it so severe? So the 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 the, the, the explained that an oath is invo- invokes the name of God. So, essentially, when a person makes an oath, what he's saying is that this is as true, whatever I'm about to make an oath on, is as true as God. So, if a person is to make a false oath, he's basically denying God. It's, it's, it's worse than blasphemy. It's, 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 it's denying God. That is, and of course, that is, um, in many ways, yeah, the worst possible crime. At least in in Benodim Lamokim in 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 Averis, which govern our relationship with Hashem, the worst possible crime is denial, denying of God. So if a person makes a shvua shav, he's essentially a false oath. He's essentially denying God. So that's why, even though technically there's no capital offense for for false oath, but it is right up there on par with capital Averis. You're saying something like the truth, like the 
just like the truth of God or something. Yeah, I'm that's what, something. Yeah, that's, that's why the Rambam said. The Rambam even says the Ram, that, that the person is not liable for shvuas shav unless he says it with, Hash, with, with unless he mentions God. Now. The truth is that there's also even if a person makes a shvua without saying any name of God, he just says that I'll make a shvua that such and such, he's still obligated to keep it. And there's some discussion whether that's uh, biblical law, whether that's midin Kabbalah, uh, Kabbalah. But the the the, the sort of the, the, the original the, the offshoots and additions to the mitzvah again, midivri Kabbalah, midiravbanan, whatever it is. But the the main mitzvah of a shvua is that a person invokes the name of God. Whichever it doesn't not no specific name, any name of God or any reference to God doesn't have to be a name of God specifically, a kinumina kinuyan, any reference to God that a person invokes that invokes Hashem and says by God XYZ, right? I will do unto such, I won't do such and such, I do owe this person money, I don't owe this person money. Right? So if he doesn't mention Hashem's name. If he doesn't mention Hashem, if he doesn't mention Hashem's name, so then it's not as severe. But it's still the the lotion of the Rambam is. Then it wouldn't go into Hamuros necessarily, right? Yeah, it wouldn't. It wouldn't be the same. It's still. It's still. It's still very severe. Now, so, so the truth is, there's another point here, which really, Rabbi Moshe is 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 bringing up. I think, and this is something we discussed last time we did this topic a few years ago. There's many, many stories in the Gemara, Midrashim, about very, very severe consequences to oaths. And as we'll see soon, the severe consequences are not only to false oaths that were made deliberately, they're even to false oaths that were made inadvertently, where the person actually had every reason to believe that what he was saying was true. And nevertheless, there were very severe repercussions. And even furthermore, that there's even many, many stories... Throughout our literature, that point that people who took oaths that were true, and nevertheless, they there was terrible um, uh, consequences. consequences. Now, the main topic I want to talk about about today is shvuas emes, about is true oaths. But I'm just sort of leading into there. So it's shvuas, not the darim. Yeah, I'm not talking about the darim. That wouldn't be necessarily kumbaros. Correct. No, I also don't want to go into the difference right now, so I'm going to leave that out. Um, now, uh, if you if you read some of those stories, people losing children, people dying, terrible, terrible um, consequences to people saying oaths that were inadvertently not true or even true. And again, we're not going to go through all the stories now, but. One thing you see, and I think that nowadays it's like it's not so matched by American modern sensitivities, but the Torah places almost omnisignificance significance and on the verbal word, right? And in fact, the Rambam writes in Hilchus Perek Yud Beis Halachiches, you have to be very careful with children. You have to teach your children to talk the truth. Even without making a, 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 a Right? Don't make you promise. Oh, you say you're, you promise? No, don't do that. Let's train ourselves and our children that we, whatever we say, is true. Why? Could they? Now, you could you could say that it's important to teach your children to tell the truth because it's important to tell the truth. But the Rambam, and that, that's also true. But the Rambam here is saying something else. Why is it important to teach your children to say the truth? So that they shouldn't become habituated to constantly making a shvur, to constantly swearing, like the akum, like the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. This thing is like an obligation on the parents and on the teachers. In other words, the Rambam is saying it's a non-Jewish thing that in the Akram again, he's saying we just use our words freely, we say whatever was convenient to say we don't care about the truth, and therefore if I want you to believe me, I have to swear I have to, I have to promise we Jews don't do things that way we take our, our spoken word very. you have my word you take, we take our spoken word very seriously we don't want to have to deal with, with, with promising and oaths and all that stuff, even if they're true we want to make sure we re- retain that integrity that our spoken word is, a, is, is reliable. Right. There's a lot of benefit that people get from 
telling something that isn't true in the immediate. But in the long term, it's a really bad model to live by. Right. Well, don't we at times encourage that? I think we talk about white lies and maybe for showing bias oh. or for some uh, reason. I'm not so, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So... <laughs> So first of all, the, it does say that it's permissible to lie under with th- for three different things. It's permissible to lie, but even there, it doesn't really say it's to lie. It says it's mutter l'shani. It's mutter to change the truth, and it, it's not a cl- you, you say a white lie, which is a very which can be a vague term. In practice, there's a lot of you, you really have to consult. In other words, there's a lot of yes, that's true because. Um, shalom bias is more important than telling the absolute truth, and in fact, there's something else that shalom bias is more important than, right? Shalom bias, we say, is more important than God's name. We're allowed to erase, right? We're, we're, para- we're oh, equating perfect. here God's name with, 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 uh, with shvur. We're allowed to erase God's name for the soiter in order to, um, to, to create shalom bias, right? That's what Kumara says. So, shalom bias is also a omni. Omni valuable in, in, in Torah, and therefore you're right, that is one of the things for which a person is allowed to um, bend the truth somewhat. Now, in practice, how to know exactly how much is permissible to bend the truth, and uh, ev- you know, there's a lot of details and a lot of different opinions about it, and a rabbi, competent rabbi, should be consulted as Ari Marinelli can uh, testify what happens if you eat chala in the middle of the day. Yes, is that oh, a story? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a book on that in the library. It's like it's like you yes, have. Yes, we do. We have more than we have more than one book on this in the library. Um, there's a book from David Feld, uh, Daniel Feldman. Um, uh, afterwards in the class, I'll be happy to spend a few minutes in the library with you and show you some books on that. The way I see it is, you have like this really important value in Judaism, which is truth, and you have an e- also a very important value in Judaism, which is which is shalom bias, shalom in general. And then what do you do when those two things compete? And the only determinant on which one to choose has to be the Torah. Not us. Right. right. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about Shavuos Emes, about the important, about um, what's, out, what's the Torah's attitude to, to, toward a true oath. And then, hopefully, we'll have time to come back and share some interesting um, perspectives. So, like I said, there's many, many stories. What I want to do is I want to go through some quotes from the Sefer Chassidim. Sefer Chassidim has a lot of <coughs> pietistic, how do you say that word, pietistic um, behavior, practices and, and, and advice. And not everything that it says in Sefer Chassidim is always necessarily common practice, but Sefer Chassidim is quoted a lot by the Paskim, by the Mogan Avram, by the Alter Rebbe, by, by many Paskim. Sefer Chassidim is considered a uh, recognized halachic work. Um, so, everybody knows, quote-unquote, right, everyone knows, that we go to, uh, to great lengths to avoid shvuas emes, to avoid making a prom- an oath, even if it is 100% true. And um, you even have some, sh- some shuvas, for example, there's a shuva here um, from the Minchas Yitzchak, um, uh, from the Chassam Seifer, <coughs> one of the famous shuvas about this whole topic is everybody who talks about this quotes is Chassam Seifer, and he starts off by, you know, the question is um, that we know people say that a Shvuas Emes, even a true oath, is an Avera. Is this true? Is there truth to this? And where does it come from? And the Chassam Seifer starts off by saying, yes, of course it's true, like, you know, this is obviously true, this is a basic premise of any observant Jew that Shvuas Emes, making an oath even f- to say the 100% truth, is a terrible Avera. And um, many other Shvuas, in Chassid more contemporarily, many Shvuas have this attitude, like they start off by saying, no, ye, we don't do this. Jews don't take oaths. Not true, not false ones and not even true ones. Now, you want to understand why, how, then they go into uh, um, elaborate. And I'll just tell you one line, the way it's quoted in the Alter Rebbe Shulchan Aruch, um, in chapter Kuf Nun Vav, the words of the Alter Rebbe, just one line, is 
A person should be careful not to make an oath even in truth. For Yana HaMelech had a thousand cities. All of these thousands of cities, sorry, thousand cities, there's different, sorry, it's exactly, the Altarebbe says a thousand cities, but in the original there's different uh, versions to how many cities it was. He had a thousand cities, they were all destroyed. They would always, in these cities, they would always make oaths and they would stick to their oaths. But because they were flippant, they were dismissive of the severity of oath and they'll just say, Yes, I, I make an oath that I'm going to do this for you and not do this. Because it was because of that, even though, again, even though the Shannon they fulfilled what they said they would do, nevertheless, this was considered such a terrible crime that these cities were all destroyed. Um, Question. Yeah. So how do you get around this whole thing um, of putting yourself on the line by making an oath? In other words, you can't tell somebody, well, I promise you, and then, and then. I mean, what do you well, say? Well, I, I promise is not the same as an oath. An oath is when you make an oath that I'm going... That, the proper way to do it, the proper way not to do it, yeah, <laughs> is to invoke the name of Hashem. It's not the same as saying a promise. A promise is also, you say a promise, it's also important. But um, yeah. it's not exactly the same as an oath. But I think the answer to your question will become clear throughout the class today. Okay. Um, I mean, it's kind of curious that even when you're telling the truth, for some reason, it's still very problematic. Yeah. It's very... Yes. So... You're putting the burden on yourself. Yeah, you're trying to add, add extra, right, extra um, okay. responsibility. Okay, so, so first of all, he has, I'll start off with two stories brought by the Sefer Chassidim. There was one, so I'm reading here, I mean, in the Sefer Chassidim, uh, different versions have different orders to the chapters, but in the version I'm holding here, which is the Master of Cook, with the notes from Rabbi Margolis, this is from chapter 418 and 419, where he says like this, there was once a Jew who was Mechuy of Shvua, he, he, he had to make an oath for a guy. And he says, what should I do? I don't want to make an oath. But he wants his money. So he says, if I make the oath, the truthful oath, I will be able to extract my money from him, and I will give half of the money to Tzedakah. So somebody said, oh, that's a very good thing to do. You're going to, give, you're going to get your million dollars back, and you're going to give half a million dollars to Tzedakah. Perfect. The wise person said, no, even if you'll give all of it to Tzedakah, and you'll add more of your own money to Tzedakah, it's better to drop them, uh, drop them the, the money that he owes you and not take an oath, even truthfully. And therefore, he says, a person should be careful never to do any business dealings with a guy, um, or, in other words, not to do business dealings with anyone, basically, without, wit- without witnesses. If you have witnesses, then you're not going to need. You're never going to. Um, if you have witnesses to the transaction, you're never going to. It's not never going to be your word against his. So you won't come to the situation where your only way out is to make an oath, right? The next story is that there was a Jew who goyim halilu uh, olov. How do you say they uh, falsely accused him and they said you did this and this and he had to make a shvua that he didn't do it, and he took, the, he took the truthful oath, but then he came to the Chacham and he said that I feel very bad that I made this Shvua, even though it was truthfully, and I was forced to do it to save my life, they would have killed me if I had not made this oath, and why was he so upset? Because my parents never, never, never took any oaths even truthful. So the Chacham said to him, if you want to be atoned for this sin of having saved your life by taking a truthful oath, accept upon yourself that you will never mention Hashem's name um, even if it's truthfully and if, if it's not necessary not in, in, even not in another language never say G-O-D don't say that word um, even when you're reading Psukim you shouldn't say them Right? In other words, to go to the extreme and not... So, so, so here, what do we see from these two stories? We see, and again, we're not paskening from this that a person should actually give his life rather than make an oath in truth, but we're bringing these stories to demonstrate the severity of truthful oaths, where at least the, the Seif Chassidim, or the, the Chacham of the Seif Chassidim, felt it was worth giving one's life for it. And also we see here... Was that so clear? Yeah, he said if he wouldn't have done it, he would have. They would have killed him. And he says that that, that in order to atone for this, uh, he agrees with him that this was a bad thing that he did, and he needs an atonement. Oh, that's not how I understood it. 
Well, maybe I'm, I'm not reading the, every word, but to me it was, yet, yet, maybe it's possible that you that yes, what you did was the right thing, but you still need atonement nevertheless. Okay, that's possible. It still shows it's very serious. Yeah, okay, it could be, yeah, fine, possibly, okay. But also another thing that we see from here is what is the severity of the, well, why is it so severe? It's clearly associated with mentioning, with God, mentioning God's name. Like the, the atonement is, be careful never to mention Hashem's name. I, I just said it, God's name. He's saying, don't say God's name, say Hashem's so name. So what do you recommend? If you make an agreement with a boy, you don't mention God's name. That's, uh, that's certainly a good idea, but yeah. Uh, yeah. All right, then we'll go back to chapter 10. Can I just ask for a question? Yeah, go on, go on. What's the difference between an oath and a contract? So if I'm, I'm negotiating something with a goy, if it's about business, does that go down a different road where I have to have a written contract? Or, or can I have an oral contract and that's considered an oath? No, an oath means when a person invokes God and says, by God, I, I will or won't do such and such. That's an oath. That's what we're talking about. Now, now, one second. I just want to point out that a contract is not an oath. And a verbal contract is also not an oath. But the problem with, the, with what, he say, what he's saying over here is that the problem with a verbal contract or with something that you can't prove it is that later on, and again, I don't believe that this, this phenomenon exists so much <coughs> in, in modern law in this country, but the concern is that if later down the line there's a dispute, he's going to bring you to cor- court and say, Steve, take an oath that you don't owe me this money and then you'll be stuck because even if it's true you don't want to do that well you don't want to have an oral agreement to begin. that's what he's saying avoid yeah. the oral agreement avoid to oral agree oral with without witnesses <laughs> so that you shouldn't down the line come well, to a situation where you have to take an oath well wouldn't it rather than wouldn't it be easier to discuss this in terms of when you have to take an oath in God's name yes we're getting there and then Everything else, don't do it. Rather than start, you know what I mean? I'm s- no, I'm here, saying Here are three circumstances where you have to do an oath with God's name. And any other circumstances, never do it. I think it would be a short, wouldn't it be a shorter discussion? Um, I'm not sure I understand the question. Well, you're going, like you're going through all the reasons not to do it and all the circumstances not to do it. It's obviously something that's really reserved, for ver- only required under very specific circumstances. Is that correct? Yes, but that's the Hogof is what I'm trying to demonstrate that we see uh, to show you some of these stories. I'm just, I'm just saying he's trying to point out mistakes. You're saying that I could oh. say the same well, thing. I think your idea is better because the number of cases of inclusiveness is much smaller than the number of cases of flu. Because you simply push all of the committed ones in and outside of that. There's a huge number of them. I have a much more eloquent way to put my point. Thank you. Yeah. Anytime. But it's good to know not what to do. All right, we're how prevalent it was, and in some communities, it was actually quite a problem. Yeah. And they were saying it always truthfully. Okay, so the problem. So so here's the problem, Steve. The problem is like this. The problem is that the Pasuk says, there's a Pasuk, it's actually the same Pasuk in two places, in Parshas Vashan and in Parshas Ekev, more or less the same Pasuk, where it says, As Hashem Alekech Atira, you should fear Hashem your God, V'Oisei Savid, or that's in Vashan, in Ekev, it's Oisei Savid V'Oisei Dvak, you should serve Him, and cleave to Him, and then it says, Vishmoi Tishaveya, and take oaths in his name. So the Pasuk says, you should take an oath in Hashem's name. So, how do we understand this Pasuk? So, the Rambam says, and he, that this is a positive commandment. There is a positive commandment to take an oath in Hashem's name. As this at face value seems to find the face of everything we've been saying until now. Right, and this Rambam was uh, not unchallenged. 
read to you from the Ramban. From the Ramban, the Ramban, we have Ramban versus Ramban. The Ramban's commentary to the Parshas of Eschan in Deuteronomy chapter 6, he says like this. And he quotes the Pasuk, in his name you shall swear. I'm, just, I'm going to read from the article translation. This is not a commandment that one should swear oaths in God's name. Rather, it is an admonition that when you do swear, you must swear by his name only and not in the name of any other God. And therefore, after this verse, it is written, you shall not follow other gods, gods, meaning that you shall not go after them in any of these matters just mentioned in our verse in connection with God, namely, you shall not fear them, not serve them, nor swear in their name. So what the Ramban is saying essentially is, now we have this idea that sometimes there's a positive mitzvah, which is not... (coughs) where the Torah tells you, do such, and really the Torah's intent is not that you should do such, but more that you shouldn't do the opposite. Right? There's many, many examples of this. Um, nothing comes to mind right now. Well, let me think a second. So it's, it's a according to some, for example, I'll, g- I'll give you an example. According to some, according to a Nazir, a Nazir we also just learned, God will pay. A Nazir has a mitzvah to grow his hair. Right. Now, according to many Rishonim, at least, there's no mitzvah per se that he should grow his hair. It's just the Torah, and it, it's counted as one of the 248 positive mitzvahs, but the objective of the mitzvah isn't to have long hair. The objective of the mitzvah is not to cut his hair. Right? So you have some times where the Torah expresses something in the positive sense, and therefore it could, in some cases, it would count as a positive mitzvah. But the, uh, the intention of the Torah is to... to exclude the opposite, right? So what the Ramban is saying, the Ramban is saying actually in this case, it doesn't even count as one of the mitzvahs. When we're saying of Ishmael you should take an oath in Hashem's name, what we mean is that don't take an oath in anything else's, in anything else's name. That's what the objective is. Uh, yeah, you have the same thing, I think, with kosher. Yes, correct. Um, however, however, the Gemara in Masechtus Tamura expounds this regarding taking truthful oath to say that it is permissible. And the Gemara says as follows, Why does the Torah say of Ishmaeti Shaveya? He quotes the whole Gemara, to finish, and he finishes off by saying that Ishmaeti Shaveya is not a mitzvah to take an oath in Hashem's name, rather it is an allowance that it is permissible to take an oath in Hashem's name. So again, so far the Ramban has suggested two explanations to these words of number one is that if you're swearing swear in God's name not in the name of anything else mm-hmm. number two is so that way it's not a mitzvah there's no mitzvah to take an oath the second way is that the mitzvah is it's not a mitzvah to take an oath it's an allowance that is permissible to take a true oath you may have thought that it's forbidden to take a true oath because you're not allowed to just say God's name no, we give you special permission to say Hashem's name in the case where you're making a true oath then he quotes about Yeshua, The Holy One, blessed be He, said to the people of Israel, do, you, do not think that it has been made permissible for you to swear in my name, even truthfully. Rather, you are not permitted to swear in my name, even truthfully, unless you have in you all of these qualities. Namely, that you fear Hashem and your God like Avraham, Yosef, and Eiv, that you serve Him, that means that you dedicate yourself exclusively to the study of Torah and Mitzvahs, and that you don't have any other work other than your service of Hashem, da, 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 da. if somebody who has all of these qualities, such a person has an allowance to make a shvur. <laughs> okay, so essentially the Ramban is saying again, two things. Right. According to the Ramban, either means, either means not to include something else into the shvur when you do take on, or it's an allowance that it's permissible to make an oath in Hashem's name, but at least for, uh, from the Medrash, or not nece- I don't know how much necessarily halachic weight the Medrash has, but at least hashkafically the Medrash is telling you that unless you're on par with Avram, Yosef, and Eiv, then you shouldn't be making oaths at all, even truthful oaths. And the permission was granted only to very holy and special people. However, as we mentioned before, the Rambam doesn't learn this way. The Rambam explicitly says in Sefer Mitzvah's positive mitzvah number seven, and in the preface to the laws of Shavuos, that there is a positive mitzvah of Ishmoi Tishaveya. And I'll read to you the Rambam the way he says it. Just like it is forbidden, just like this is in Hilchus Shavuos, Perak Yud Aleph Halacha Aleph and Base. 
Just like it is forbidden to make false oaths, Shvav and Shekhar are two different types. So too, there is a positive mitzvah that somebody who is obligated in an oath in Bezdin, somebody who the court, to, who a claim in court, brought him to an obligation to make an oath, there's a mitzvah that he do so with the name of Hashem. As the Pasuk says, you should swear, swear in his name. This is a positive mitzvah. Because taking an oath in God's great name, great and holy name, is an element in the service of Hashem. It is a great sanctification and beautification of Hashem to swear in His name. It is forbidden to combine something else together with Hashem's name. Somebody who takes an oath with, two th- with Hashem's name and something else by God and by whatever. What did they articulate when they said Hashem's name? What did they actually when they said Hashem's name? They invoked God. We spoke about that before. They, they invoked Hashem's, Hashem's name. Do such and such. In the name of Hashem, this is true. You don't. You're not mishatif anyone with him. There is no one else worthy of honoring him when you by swearing in his name. Only Hashem. So the Rambam says here. The Ramam really says two points over here. His second point is in somewhat parallel to the first point made by the Ramban. That the mitzvah is, he said, the Ramban said the fir- his first approach was that the mitzvah is not to make, the, that there's a positive mitzvah to make an oath in Hashem's name, i.e. not to make an oath with anything else's name. The Ramam includes that in the mitzvah. The Ramam agrees to that part of the Ramban, that inc- included in this mitzvah is that it's exclusively Hashem's name and not anything else. However, the Rambam also says that there is a positive mitzvah if the Bezdin, if the court, tell you that it's a mitzvah to make an oath, there's a positive mitzvah to do so in Hashem's name. Mm-hmm. Now. So now, Rabbi, if we look at civil court, in a civil court, you have to swear or affirm that what you're going to say is true, so help you God. Is this the same, or what is it? I don't. That's an interesting question. <coughs> I, I don't think that's the same because you're there. You're asking God to help you um, carry out that which you have committed to do. If you say swear, it's different. Swear. I think. I think. No, it, I they, no they make you affirm. Yeah. They say, yeah, I, they you say swear, swear or affirm. affirm. Yeah. No. Yes. So if you affirm, so the reason why you affirm, I did that when I accepted my American citizenship. <laughs> um, that's a court procedure. Yeah. So, so I think they omitted so help you God. They use so help you God, yeah. You don't have to say I think it's been omitted. I think it's been omitted. Yeah. Oh, now it is? Yeah. For the last several years. Oh, since yeah. the socialist Democrats. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 no, but the godless party. So Lachaira, so Lachaira. Okay, so Lachaira, the Chaira, there's two ways to understand. What, what, what does the Rambam mean? What does the Rambam mean that it's a positive mitzvah to, 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 that to, to do this is a positive mitzvah? So Lachaira, there could be two very different ways to understand what the Rambam means over here. One way to understand it, and this is the way, for example, there's a sefer called Leif Sameach on the Rambam, which is an, an old, uh, 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 a, a Turkish rabbi from the year 1560. <coughs> uh, so he basically says that what we mean that it's a positive mitzvah is just like many mitzvahs, which, for example, we always give the example of divorce, right? There's a mit- one of the 248 mitzvahs is the mitzvah of giving a get, right? Now, that's not to say, that's, th- that's not the type of mitzvah that you're supposed... That means there are mitzvahs that you have to do, you have to put on tefillin. Then there are mitzvahs that you, su- that you want to do, right? Mezuzah. Right? If you don't have a house, you don't have a mitzvah to put on mezuzah. But we hope that you have a house and put on mezuzah. We, we try to go out of our way to wear a four-cornered garment to put on tzitzis, right? Yeah. Divorce is not like... No, you, know, nobody, you don't go out of your way to try and fulfill the mitzvah of divorce. The mitzvah of divorce is that if you want to divorce, then the way to do it is through this procedure. Right? 
So it's a, it's a misnomer, really. I mean, the concept that that's a mitzvah. Well, because it's, no. used, it's used differently. The, right. So, in other words, we say, I'll, I'll rephrase what you're saying, Steve. We say that there are 248 positive commandments. The truth is that those 248 positive commandments can really be split into two or probably even three different types of, of things. And the third one that we're discussing here is that if life brings you to a certain circumstance, then you, are posi- one, you have a positive mitzvah, Hashem wants you to do it in this way and not in any other way. That is the mitzvah, right? If a person's circumstances bring him to divorce, the way to do it is in the procedure of giving a get, etc., etc., with all the details um, so when you d- described in the Torah. Court, all they care about is you got a civil divorce. But if you uh, have any uh, connection with Yiddishkeit, like I did, you have to insist that you have a get as well. Mm-hmm. But it's separately, yeah. right? For example, I'll give you another example, right? N- nobody goes out of, we spoke about mezuzah, mezuzah is a, a mica, right? Nobody goes out of their way to build themselves a, 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 um, a rooftop in order to fulfill the mitzvah of making a fence around your rooftop. If you have a rooftop, then the Torah tells you you have to put a, a fence around it, right? Be hard yeah, we spoke about this recently. We spoke about this some time ago about the mitzvah of Shiloh Hakan to send away the mother bird. Is it a mitzvah? Some people go look for opportunities to do it, or is it? Yeah, okay. Now, so one way of understanding the Rambam is that if if the circumstance brings you that you have to take an oath, like the Rambam says, the courts are telling you to make an oath. So then the mitzvah is to do the oath in God's name. Don't do it without God's name. Don't do it for sure. Don't do it with something else's name. Don't even do it with shituf of combining God's name with something else. Do it in God's name. That is the positive mitzvah. That's the way some Mepharshim understand the Rambam. However, there is a very prominent um, Paisik who goes, who, who usually toes the line of the Rambam, and he says something much more radical. And if you couldn't guess yet, we're talking about the Sefer Achinuch. Sefer Achinuch and Mitzvah Tov Lamed Hei, and that's Mitzvah 435. He's quoting the Pasuk in Akev, even though, again, like we said, the same Pasuk exists in Pasha Svanskanon, but he always, yeah. So this is in Deuteronomy chapter 13, I think. Um, sorry, no, chapter 10. Chapter 10. Um, so he says like this The Mitzvah is, and again, I'll read you from the Art Scroll translation. The mitzvah is we are commanded to swear in his name, in the name of Hashem, blessed be he, when the need arises for us to substantiate and affirm some matter, or to, to the opposite, to repudiate some matter with an oath. We are so commanded because doing so describes greatness, might, and exaltedness to him, and concerning this it says of Hashemite Shavir. Then he goes on, and he says like this, This mitzvah applies, so the, 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 the Chinuch always, always does this. Where every mitzvah, he says, when, when does it apply, where does it apply, and to whom does it apply? So he'll say this mitzvah applies in all places, or it only applies in Israel, or it only applies in Jerusalem. He'll say, when does it apply at all times, only in the time of the Beis HaMikdash, and to whom does it apply, to everyone, only to men, only to women, only to... Yeah. So here he goes like this. So nehegas b'chol malchim b'chosman b'scharim v'nikevus. This mitzvah checks all the boxes. It applies at all times, in all locations, to men and to women. V'oyver elav zeh. Now listen to this. One who transgresses this mitzvah, v'leirot salehishava b'shmoy leisatzerich, and does not wish to swear in his name when the need for an oath arises, b'tel asei zeh ladas harambam has violated this mitzvah obligation according to the Rambam. And then he goes on to say, however, and he quotes the Ramban, not this Ramban, the Ramban in his notes to Sefer Mitzvah, but the same idea, that this is not a mitzvah, that there's no mitzvah, it's just permission, it's just permission to, to make a note, there's no, no mitzvah. But is that what the Sefer Chinuch is saying is, that if Reuven and Shimon um, let's give an anonymous name, Reuven takes, summons Bill Rossman to court, and he says, Bill Rossman, you owe me a million dollars. And uh, Bill Rossman says, no, you're wrong. I only owe you $500,000. So Bill is now what we call a meidemimitzas. That means he has admitted partial, he has partial admission. The halacha for meidemimitzas is that you have to take an oath 
that you what you're saying is true. You have to take an oath. You have it. You could you could pay the full million, or you could say I'm taking an oath in the name of Hashem that I only owe him half a million, and then you only have to give him half a million. Now, we've read many many stories of again throughout the different Gemara's uh, things that where there would be people we saw the Sefer Chassidim even for a truthful oath rather pay the million dollars than take the oath. Says the Sefer HaChinuch, if you refrain from taking the oath under such circumstances, you have violated this mitzvah, according to the Rambam. The Rambam holds, this is the way the Sefer HaChinuch is understanding the Rambam, that once you are, once the court has, once the, the situation, the circumstance is such, that the court obligates you in an oath, you violate the mitzvah by refraining from doing the oath. Mm, very interesting. Now this is tremendously mechudish, it's, it's a great novelty, because because it seems, at least at face value, to fly in the face of everything we know about how we go to such extremes to avoid oaths. And here you're telling me that the Rambam says that this is, um, this is an actual mitzvah. But you're now, obligated. What if you're not obligated? Then you shouldn't do it. Right, right, of course. No, yeah, if you're obligated, yes. Yeah. So let, let's say Bill does owe Ruben $500,000 any and he even he swears to it, to an oath, but he can't pay it. He's, you, you, you We're not have talking. to make that commitment that That's you owe it even if you can't No, pay the, com- the commitment here is not the, how to go ahead and proceed with payment. The court will deal with that. Right now we're trying to establish what, what his obligation no, is. I'm saying he's swearing that he owes it. So yeah. this is the same as saying swearing that he will pay it? No, even though he no, 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 no. Okay. He's swearing that the statement is true. Okay. Right? I mean, it's not just, I, I simplify the story. The story is that you know, they're going to back up their claim of why they're saying he owes him a million dollars, and he's going to say, why well, I only owe him half a million dollars. Okay, so, right? it's not just, so and I owe it to you, but right. I'm not swearing we're going to pay it. Bill could afford it, it's not his pocket change for him. Yeah, look, <laughs> the, 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 I, that's I just, what he's saying. I know I owe you, but surface, I can't pay. On the surface, Sefer is completely wild, but I, I think, I think it's, I can understand it. There's, it's inappropriate to invoke Hashem's name whimsically, right? Or unnecessarily. Unnecessarily. Um, or even even when it, it's it's helpful that you were able to convince somebody, it's got it's a shem's name. You got you can't just use it the what however you want. However, at, but there are times that using a shem's name is not only appropriate but it's actually a very good thing. Like when we're davening, when we're learning. So in based in according to the chinuch, his understanding of the Rambam is now is a context where it's not only appropriate but it's actually. A good thing. This is the time to invoke Hashem's name. Not always, but now. Right? Yeah. So yes, I'm, I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna say something very similar. Yeah. Okay, I just want to circle back for a second yes. to, to what I said a minute ago because I, I I say this to people, not in God's name, but I say you know someone will be at the, at the store and buy something for me, and I'll say you know I'll pay you back. I don't say I owe you the money. I say I pay you back. Uh, I will pay you back. Okay. Mm-hmm. So. Let's say, for whatever stupid reason, I swear to God that I would pay you back. I'm not saying I owe you the money. I'm, s- I'm making a commitment That's, to pay uh, Those you back. are two very different things. In, in, what, there's, in, in halachic parlance, it's, it would be shvuas apikodin and shvuas bitui. Shvuas bitui is, shvuas apikodin is when you make an oath to, um, that, you, that you don't owe somebody money. And Shavuos Bitu is making an oath of that you are or you're not going to do something. In your case, you're talking about, you're making an oath that I'm going to do something, namely give you this amount of money. Shavuos Apikodin is where the oath is whether or not there's an obligation for the money. You're not talking about whether you're actually going to carry it out. Okay, so let me ask my question again. If, if the commitment is, I'm going to pay you a half a million dollars, okay, that's the oath, all right? And maybe he has the money in the bank, and the market crashes, and he doesn't have the money. No, but that, 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 that was. But let me let me yeah. just finish the question, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then you can tell me how stupid it is. Yeah. <laughs> okay. If the if if the commitment were, if you swear to God that you're going to pay someone a half a million dollars, okay, and it goes before the base din, can the base din ask you, okay, you, do you swear to God that you're going to pay him five hundred thousand dollars? You have to you have to make make that commitment. But you don't have that money in the bank, so you, you can't really make that oath because you have, don't have the ability to do it. So the answer is the answer is that the Besdin will never do that because the Besdin only um, impose. There's three types of 
there's basically there's Shvuas Hadayonin and Shvuas Hesus we're going to see soon there's certain criteria which the Bezdin sort of when certain boxes are checked then the Bezdin says okay now the formula dictates that you have to take such and such an oath there's no the Bezdin would never under any circumstance tell somebody to make an oath that he is going to pay somebody that's not something the Bezdin would do the only type of oath the Bezdin um, um, the Bezdin um, tells somebody to make is to substantiate his claim you claim that you only owe them such and such you have to make an oath that you don't owe them anything you have to make an oath to undertake that there is later in the times of the Goinim they instituted something called Shvuas Ainli that if a person says look I owe you the money but I don't have anything to pay so then there were times when the Bezdin would make a Shvuah that you have to make an oath that you don't have the money right and today you would say show us your bank statements yeah but um but there's no such thing as the best. Obviously, an individual could go and say whatever he wants, and if an individual says, "I swear that I'm going to pay you," and then he doesn't, then that's a serious problem. But the Bezdin will never tell somebody to make an oath that he's going to pay. That's not something that under the Bezdin's jurisdiction. Okay, thank you. Um, now, Le for example, I'll just give you the way the Minchasitzchok summarizes this topic. He says, according to the Morgan of Rome, according to the Rambam, there are three categories of oaths. Um, there's an oath which is not necessary, and then if a person violates that oath, even truthfully, he has violated the mitzvah of Shua's shav, right? So, for example, the Rambam, if you take an oath to say that this is a table, so because it's, it's not that's true that this is a table, but because it's so obvious that this is a table, um, so then, uh, so then that's called a Shua's shav. It's a true, it's a true oath, but it's not necessary because everybody knows that it's so obvious. So that's a Shavuot Shav. It's interesting, by the way, that one of the examples the Rambam gives, and you wonder if this would change nowadays, is that if a person makes an oath that the sun is bigger than earth, that's not considered a Shavuot Shav, because even though it's true, not everybody knows that. Now, I wonder if nowadays that's something that would be considered that everybody does know that, and um, therefore if a person were to make such a Shavuot nowadays, it would be a Shavuot Shav. Um, but the Rambam says that it's actually one of these interesting cases where two opposites have the same result. In other words, if one person makes an oath that the sun is smaller than earth, he's not liable for Shua Shav because it, it, it indeed does look smaller than earth and it's possible that he thought so. Um, and on the, on the flip side, okay, I got it. On the flip, thank you. On the flip side, if a person makes an oath that the, earth, that the sun is bigger than earth, it's also not a Shua Shav because it's not so obvious, not everybody knows that. Anyway, that's just uh, but, uh, but why, let, let's say it's a pointless shua. What's that? It's a pointless shua, right? So that's one extreme. One extreme is shua shav. What? It's not. It's an. It's, an, it's, also, it's not necessary. It's not. not a false. Oath. It's not a false. It's not necessary. No, no, no. He's saying it's not necessary. Okay. Not an oath that's not necessary. That's blatantly obvious to everyone. One of the examples he gives is that you make an oath that a man is a man and a woman is a woman. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then. Wow. Um, so then, that's a violation of Shua's shah. I'm just trying to get himself in trouble. Then, yeah. one second. <laughs> then the other extreme, the other extreme is, according to the way the Minchas Yitzchak is explaining this, the, the other extreme is that when it's, when it's necessary, when it's absolutely necessary, and then, in other words, when the, when the, well, that would be when the Dayanim imposed the Shua on you, and in that case, not only is it permissible, but according to the Rambam, you would be obligated to take the oath. And then he says, you have the middle case where, this is the way the Rambam understands it, he says the middle case would be where you could get out of it, in other words, it's convenient for you, you could save money, whatever it is, it could be convenient, but it's possible to get out of it, it's not necessary, and in that case, the Rambam would invoke everything that the Rambam brought about, how that it's permissible, but it's strongly not recommended, unless you have all these tremendous virtues of Avram, Yosef, and Eve, etc., like we brought from the Medrash. Now, Rav Ruf Margolius has some very, something very interesting to say over here. Two things. First of all, he has a whole long, long article where he goes through Harambam Bahazoyar and he draws parallels between the opinion of the Rambam and the opinion of the Zoyar. And he says two things. He says, first of all, we take a see in the Zoyar, we take a see in the Zoyar that um, one should avoid making an oath at all costs. But also in the Zoyar, you also have uh, that it says it's a mitzvah to make a true oath. So he says that this seems to fit very nicely with the Rambam. And on the one hand, the Rambam, I forgot to mention, very important, how can I forget? The Rambam himself also says that you should avoid oaths. 
Right? The Rambam says in uh, Parakute Base that it would be a good per- thing for a person never to take an oath. But he just said before that's a mitzvah. So obviously you have to say that that's talking about a case where the Bezdin imposed it. In that case he holds it's a mitzvah. But in all other cases you should avoid it at all, all costs. So the Rambam, he says, is very clearly aligned with the opinion of the Zohar. That's one thing he says. But then he says it makes another very interesting point. In uh, oh, this is on the wrong page because it fell. So I have to get it back to Perak Yudalef. In Hilchus Vos, Perak Yudalef, the Rambam goes through the procedure of the court imposing an oath on a litigant. And there is a process called Iyum, which, mean, which means that we, we really go um, very, very heavy and making the guy petrified to take this oath. So what's the point? Well, one, second, one, second, one, second, one second, one second, one second, one second, one second. So that he understands <coughs> the seriousness of his action. Uh, Let me think about it. We say... We tell him you should know that the whole entire world shook when Hashem says don't mention, don't invoke the name of Hashem in vain. All Averis in the Torah are forgiven. Shuhu Ashraf is not forgiven. All Averis in the Torah. Anyway, go on and on and on. And then, if he agrees to, if he, if he agrees to take the oath, all the people standing there proclaim on him the pasuk which Moshe Rabbeinu said about Kairach. Suru Everybody remove yourselves from the vicinity of these wicked people, right? So we're referring to this litigant who's making an oath in court, just substantiating his claim. Before he's even said anything, we're already referring to him as a wicked man just because he's willing to take the oath. And we do all this now. That's all the Rambam says, but if you look in others for him, they give even more uh, vivid detail to this. Um... And he brings him from the Rishonim that they would bring a coffin into the room and they would bring um, some t- they had some sort of system to, to keep the body cool with these airbags or something obviously before refrigeration so they would bring that into the room of the Bezdin and they would light candles and they would put ashes and um, he actually brings an even more elaborate description from this from more recently. And we're going to talk in a, in a few minutes at the end. We'll talk about nowadays, doing Shavuos in court nowadays. But he brings here from Rav Kapach, describing the process of how, they, how in Yemen, in Taman, they would, uh, until recently, and they had the, in the last couple hundred years, they had a very vibrant Jewish community in Yemen. And he says, if a person was obligated to Shavuot, they would, uh, this is how they would do it. They would fix a day, usually it would be a Monday or Thursday. They would invite ten people, ten elders to the shul, and they would bring in there the stretcher with, with, with which they would carry the dead, and they would put it in the middle of the shul, and they would put in it tachrichim, the shrouds. And they would bring all the tools of the grave diggers, the spades and the, all, the, all the different tools, and even the baskets into which they would put the, when they dig the grave, they put, take out all the earth and put it in a basket, and then they're going to use it again. So they would bring those baskets into the, into the, into the shul. And then the liturgians would come in together, accompanied by the Dayanim, they would open the Aron Kodesh, and they would f- w- give a final warning to the two, um, to the two parties, that they should not warn, they should not cause the name of God to be mentioned in vain. And then they would call the everybody. Everybody, they would say this pasuk Allah, and remove yourselves from the wicked. And everybody would take a couple steps back. This was a very, very uh, uh, I don't know the word. Sorry, traumatic, traumatic, um, intense, intense um, environment. And that was the point. We were trying to. Um, Push to, to to push them away from this, from this thing. Now the Rambam says here a uh, chiddush. The Rambam says that if there's that there is a concept called shvua sofik. Shvua sofik. We're not going to get into all the details of how this could happen, but there are cases where again we had a case where somebody comes to you and says you owe me a million dollars, but th- that's called the tainus valaya. He has a claim. You owe a million dollars, and your claim is both both the people are are 100 certain of their claim. Then you have a tainus sofik. A tainus sofik is 
I have no idea if you. I have no idea how much you owe me. You have again. I don't want to get into all the scenarios that would bring to this case. But there are cases where there's a tiny sophic, a, a yosim, for example. You you owed somebody money. The guy died, and now his son is coming to claim the money from you. Now you're saying yes, the money I I had borrowed a thousand dollars from your father. Now, the orphan has no idea if you borrowed a thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars. So you, in that case, have to take an oath that you only owe him a thousand dollars. Now that's called a tiny sophic. Nobody has a claim on you. We just we don't know. We don't know if you're telling the truth. So in order to substantiate that you're actually telling the truth, we have we have um. We, we, we make you take an oath under certain circumstances. So there the Rambam says that um, when it comes to Taina uh, Sufik, we don't go through this whole process of um, uh, threatening, whatever it is. We don't go through this whole process, uh, this elaborate process to dissuade the, the person from taking the oath. However, he says, the, the, the Dayonim have to implore the two parties. Perhaps they will retract their claims to avoid any shvua. So let's break this down into two different things. First, the Rambam says that in the case of a Taina Sufik, we don't do this whole process of Iyum, of frightening him. But we still try to um, implore them to retract their claims. So the first part, we don't do the eels. Where does the Rambam get this from? So this is something that all the commentaries on this Rambam are struggling with. Why don't you do eum? Where does it, how does it match into the Gemaras? You know, what's the source of this Rambam that you don't do the eum for such a type of claim? So Rebruva Margolius suggests that th- this, uh, this is very much aligned with the Rambam's whole approach, a whole approach that it's a mitzvah. If the Bezdin are telling you to, if the circumstances brought to you to a Shvua, to a circumstance where you have to take a Shvua, now you have a mitzvah to do it. And if you neglect to do it, like the Sefer Chinuch said, you have violated that mitzvah. So if it's a Tainus Vadai, that means I'm claiming you owe me a million dollars, you're claiming you don't owe me a million dollars, so one of us is for sure lying. So if one of us is for sure lying, there's a 50% chance that you're the person who's lying. If there's a 50% chance that you're a person lying, so now I have a 50-50, 50% chance that the oath you're about to take is the fulfillment of a, of a mitzvah, but there's a 50% chance that you're, the oath you're about to take is the violation of a very, very um, um, severe Avera. So therefore, because we have that 50% chance, and it's a very severe Avera, like the Rambam d- discussed, therefore we go through this whole process of frightening you out to try and dissuade you from doing it. But if it's a tiny suffix, if it's a tiny suffix, so, so, so why should I assume you're lying? And if I have no reason to assume that you're lying, then how could I go ahead and try to dissuade you from fulfilling a mitzvah in the Torah? So again, the Rebbe Margolius comes here with this idea, which again, all the commentaries struggle with, and he says it's simple. The Rambam fits very nicely. The Rambam holds that it's a mitzvah, and therefore, in, in absence of any reason to assume that you're lying... I'm not, we're not going to go ahead with the Iyum. Now, I shared this with a, with a friend, actually. I shared this with Rabbi Katz, who gave Rabbi Katz from Buffalo Grove. He gave once a class here on a legal holiday with manuscripts of the Rambam he had on the screen. Remember that, Bob? So I shared this with him. So he said, okay, that's very nice, but how does that fit with the second half of this halacha? Remember, the second half of this halacha was that the, the Rambam says that even by a Shvua Suffolk, we try to implore the Balidinim to retract their claim so that it do, do, doesn't be a Shvua. He says, if it's a mitzvah, why are you trying to dissuade them from, to, to persuade them to retract their claim? Hmm. So I was thinking about this. And I noticed, and by the way, the example that I gave of the orphans wouldn't be, wouldn't be a good example of this, because in, in the case of the orphans, there's no claim. It's the Bezdin who make, in making. But there are, there are similar cases for a tiny suffix. The Ramam is talking here in the plural. We implore the Bali Dinim, we implore both litigants, both uh, parties, in, in the plural. Perhaps they will retract their claim, so that there shouldn't be any oath. And perhaps I'm suggesting to, and, and this would, if this is true, then this could go, work together with Rebbe Margolius. And again, if you look at the commentaries on this Rambam, they're all struggling with this. Uh, but but this would, this would, this would, if what I'm about to say is true, then it would set the whole thing to rest. What is the mitzvah according to the Rambam, like the Sefer Chinuch says, if the circumstance is such that the Bezdin are telling you you have to make a shvur, then you have a mitzvah. Go ahead and do it. 
so the Rambam is saying what we got, we're not going in this case of Tainus Sophic, we have no reason to assume that you're that 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 you're lying. I'm not going to try and frighten you uh, to dissuade you from taking the oath. What I'm going to try to do is persuade you guys to withdraw your claims. As soon as the guy has withdrawn his claim, then now there is no then now there is no need for a shvur. If the guy the guy says you owe me, you owe me a million dollars, well, it's a tiny suffix, yeah. But the guy comes to you with a tiny suffix that maybe you owe me a million dollars. If I can convince him to retract his claim, now you don't have a mitzvah to do it. And if you don't have a mitzvah to do it, then, like we said, we try to avoid shvuas, we try to sh- avoid sh- uh, oaths at all cost. But if the teveya, how do you say in English teveya nitva? If the teveya, the person with the claim, retains his claim. Now, we're not going to, under this circumstance of Tainus Suffolk, we're not going to try to dissuade you from taking the oath, according to the Rambam, because in that case, you have a mitzvah to do it. Atkan, what I believe may be pshat in the Rambam. Um, I want to just finish off to take a few minutes to talk about what happened to, uh, where do we all go with this? We know that in the Torah and in Halacha, there's numerous cases where we say, shvur, shvur. if you go to a rabbinic court to date, today, be it the CRC or anywhere in Israel, you're unlikely to ever encounter the concept of a person taking an oath. And in fact, um, as far back, even though in the Rambam, if you look through the Rambam in Perak Yudalif of Ilkhashvuas, there are a number of times where it's very clear that he's talking about current, that in the Rambam's in the Rambam's um, in the Rambam's life, this was a thing that was practiced, that people would come to the court and the court would pass in that they do the shuas. And we saw that even in, 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 in Yemen, which uh, considered themselves uh, followers of the Rambam, they were still doing this until recently. But nevertheless, as far back as the early Rishonim, we have, a, a, and, and, and by the way, sorry, post-Talmudic, we even have the Go'inim, adding new Shavuos, which didn't exist in the time of the Gemara, like I mentioned before, the Shavuos Eini. The Go'enim instituted in certain cases that a person would take an oath that he doesn't have any resources, that he doesn't have the money, right? So certainly the Go'enim was still doing this. But then once you move past the generation of the Go'enim into the early Rishonim already from Rashi, um, we don't do Shavuos anymore. Like it, it seems like it was becoming too severe uh, to whatever the case was, and people were coming more more flippant and not keeping their oaths, or whatever the case was, as time went on, we took a more and more severe, uh, uh, um, how do you call it, hesitant approach to Nadarim. And here also you have the Ravid on this Rambam says, I've heard, I heard that the Goenim of Blessed Memory instituted, it's not referring to those same Goenim, but yeah, that nowadays, um, we don't do. We don't impose any oaths on any liturgians in order that the world should not become destroyed because of the many um, sinners who are now uh, many. Rather, we do cherem. We do. You know, we do. The, we blow the horns and we turn off the candles and we bring mitzvahs uh, kfuyas. I'm not sure if that means upside down beds or it's a reference to the to the coffins or whatever it was. But basically, we do so all sorts of things to try and frighten the people into telling the truth. But we don't actually impose oaths anymore. That's already the rivet saying such a thing. Um, later on, we get into um, other. We, we find other norms that were instituted. But Yemen always had it. Yeah, in Yemen they still did it. One second. Um, he brings here from the Chassam Soifer that they had this formula, that there were certain Paschum who had a formula that if a person, if if there was a, uh, um, a, a, a suit, that according to the law of the Gemara would have been the result that you have to make an oath of such and such. So then we translated that in, you have to pay a third or two thirds or... We don't go with the oath anymore. We have a claim from here and here. Okay, instead of, instead of saying you make an oath to him that you don't owe him the money or whatever, or that he does owe you the money, whatever it is, we settle it with two-thirds and a third. We consider that to be the price to pay in order to avoid having to take oaths. So that's another another minhag that became... Uh, and, and it's possible... I mean, I don't know enough about Cheshbish, but it's possible that that still exists still today. Um, now... I'll finish off with one fascinating story. Just give me a moment.
story goes like this. Alright, I'm not remembering where that was, but anyway. I'll finish off with this story. He brings here a story that they heard from Harav Ratzon Arusi, who is the rabbi of Kiryat Ono. Kiryat Ono is a city in Israel. And he says that one day he got a phone call from a um, religious diamond uh, businessman about a terrible fight that had broken out between three um, three diamond merchants in the Bursat Hayahalomim, in the diamond uh, exchange stock, whatever it is. Um, basically, the three of them were had a had a closed room meeting um, in this uh, offices. And at the end of the meeting, it turned out that was a very, exp- a very expensive diamond missing. And all three of them denied having any connection to the missing diamond. Um, and so somebody suggested, somebody suggested that we should have all three of these um, businessmen go through a polygraph test. He says two of the jewelers readily agreed to take the polygraph <coughs> test, but the third one refused. One of, one of the three refused to take the polygraph. So, whoever this is, is consulting with Rabbi Arusi, what should we do over here? So Rabbi Arusi says, I want you to invite all these three people to my office to take a shvua that they didn't steal the diamond. So, without before going ahead with any polygraph tests, send them to this Bezdin. After he says they were invited to the to his court, he says the two who were ready to take the polygraph test owned up, and they said we took the diamond. So here you have a guy who everybody was honestly suspecting. Guilty. I mean, he looked guilty because he was refusing to take the polygraph test, and really the two guys who were quote unquote from whatever that means were willing to take the polygraph test because they were convinced that they could um, beat the system, but. When push came to shove, and they were going to have to take a shvua and invoke Hashem's name, that they were innocent, that was more compelling to them, and they 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 came. What's it called? They came came clean.